Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal? To simplify big ideas for greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to episode number four of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer, and I hope that our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. Today's conversation is a very personal conversation. Not just because it's with my friend and mentor, Mike Gunderson, but also because it is about an issue that we all face at the deepest part of our lives, suffering and evil. How can God exist, let alone be good, with so much wrong in our world? Mike is the pastor at Oak Park Christian Church out in Grover Beach, California. He is somebody who's wrestled deeply with suffering as he had to sort out what in the world to think about and do when his best friend suddenly died at a youth group trip. Mike is someone who knows suffering well, but the cool thing is, for him, suffering and evil did not present a challenge to him giving up his faith in God, but he saw it as the greatest reason to trust and to believe in God over everything else. So here's my conversation with Mike Gunderson. Well, it is my honor to have Mike Gunderson on the podcast. I uh, this Mike, the first time I um, we we really got to know each other was out in California as I was your youth minister and you had no idea that uh, you hired somebody who had no formal youth ministry training. Uh, so, anyways, no, Mike, you got to go. Mike, you got to go back a little bit because you were actually our youth ministry intern. That's true. And so we did know you. We did know what we were getting, but in all honesty, it was your contribution to our church life in the terms of cinnamon coffee. That's what yeah. sealed. That's what yeah. sealed the deal. That's why we uh, hired you a second time. Is that's because right. most of the seniors loved our cinnamon coffee or your cinnamon coffee. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Um, well, Mike, um, welcome. Could you um, could you do Good us a favor? Uh, I know you fairly well, but for those who are watching and listening to this, can you just introduce yourself? You know, um, how did you come to faith? What do you do? And how did you end up where you're at? Sure. Uh, my name is Mike Gunderson. Uh, I am now the pastor at Oak Park Christian Church in Grover Beach, California. And if you've never heard of Grover Beach, that's quite okay because virtually nobody outside of this area of California has. Uh, but if you say you're right next door to Pismo Beach, well, everybody who loves like Bugs Bunny and things like that uh, know where Pismo Beach is. So we're right actually next door to Pismo Beach as part of our, our little, our little uh, rural metro area that we have uh, here. Um, I grew up in eastern Washington. I grew up in the town of Pasco, uh, which uh, you reminded me uh, is uh, actually the Greek word for I suffer. And uh, so that's where I grew up. Um, it was actually named after the Pacific Shipping Company, and it's on the Columbia River. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, my uh, mom and dad split up when I was five. Uh, my dad was in and out of my life uh, for a number of years after that. But my mom was a was a good woman. She was a she was a God-fearing woman, uh, even if she was not a devout uh, woman. Uh, my grandfather and grandmother played a huge role in my life. And once again, they were very good people, uh, very good moral people, very much, you know, your, your word is your bond and integrity is everything. But they really weren't uh, followers of Jesus. But I grew up in a good morally sound uh, home and had that as a, as a good foundation. Um, 
through you know a series of invitations from a family member, um, got involved in vacation Bible school after my third grade year. Um, my great aunt, um, my grandfather's a sister, had become a Christian, and my mom was a hardworking single mom, and she absolutely loved the idea of free childcare uh, for most of the day uh, for a whole week in the summer. So I went to vacation Bible school and uh, loved it. Had, I saw a bunch of friends from school there. And uh, at the end of vacation Bible school, it's kind of a bait and switch. They say, you know, we do this every Sunday and it's called Sunday school. And we're like, well, we like, we like what we're doing now. Sunday's the day we're not doing anything don't like the school aspect, but we'll give it a shot. And Sunday school is really not like vacation Bible school. Uh, there's a lot more sitting and, and listening, but it was in that environment and getting involved in a, in a uh, kind of an upper uh, elementary age ministry that just started getting more plugged into the church, started hearing the gospel, learning the scriptures, and then uh, got into junior high. And uh, as a 13-year-old seventh grader, um, we were on a retreat. It was on our fall retreat. And I talked to the youth pastor about, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think I'm believing in Jesus and I need to know what to do to be a follower of Jesus. And so on uh, November 3rd, uh, 19, uh, 1980, we went for a walk on a Saturday morning and he explained the gospel. Uh, Jesus you know, son of God who came to live a perfect life, die for our sins on the cross. And then as he rose from the dead, our sin was taken away and new life was given, eternal life was given uh, as a gift. And as a 13-year-old young man uh, there in the, in, the, in the Blue Mountains of, uh, or actually this was the Cascade Mountains uh, of Washington State, the gospel made absolute clear sense to me. Everything crystallized. Um, made a decision to follow Jesus, become one of his disciples. And uh, we got home that uh, following day and was baptized along with three others from our youth group on November 4th, uh, 19, actually the year was wrong, 1979 was the year. And um, that began a journey of kind of being in church, kind of getting involved in stuff, going through a lot of the motions. When I hit high school, um, had kind of a two steps forward in faith, three, four, 10 steps back uh, in faith, and uh, really kind of walked that zigzaggy path as a follower of Jesus throughout high school. Um, but the, 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 the guy who became my best friend uh, in those years uh, was a young man named David. We were very close. We became best friends during those, uh, those high school years. And he was actually one year ahead of me in high school. And um, he was going to go to Bible college. He wanted to be a preacher. Um, he just, he really did love the Lord. And uh, uh, I was not a very good influence on him, but he was a very good friend. And uh, once again, it was our, our fall retreat. Um, our church had been through a uh, horrific, ugly split uh, the summer before my senior year. Um, and we were on a youth retreat. I was with the group that had split off from our home church. And it split our youth group right down the middle. And on that retreat, um, we were getting ready to leave. And some of the some of the girls wanted to go swimming one last time. And my best friend, David, uh, well, he liked one of the girls. And so he was going to go swimming with them. And so we were packing up and playing around, doing some stuff. And then all of a sudden, one of the girls comes running up from the beach and just said, David's under the water and we can't find him. 
And uh, that began just absolute Good. panic. Uh, everybody's in the water. Um, we couldn't find him. Uh, we could not find his body. Uh, took uh, divers, uh, professional divers had to come in and they found his, they found his body about 40, 45 minutes later and, and, and he, he died. And uh, so my senior year of high school had just begun. Um, I, my faith was very shallow. Um, and that absolutely devastated not only his family, but our youth group and, and me personally. It was that the whole, as you can imagine, that sequencing of, okay, is there, why, why did God allow this? Is there God? Is God good? Um, how could something so evil happen? And uh, sent me just headlong into um, trying to figure out if this is what I want. I did believe what I believed, how I needed to believe. Uh, how could God allow this to happen? And that little church of about 30 people was absolutely devastated. But over the course of the next few months, that catalytic experience um, God used, that church absolutely exploded in faith and devotion. A little group of 30 people within two years was a group over 200 People wow. were coming to faith every Sunday. People were getting baptized virtually every week. Um, and for me and my faith, you know, my friend had wanted to go to Bible college. I told him I would go for a year just to go with him. And I had already made those plans and, and already had that path. But it set me on this path of, okay, I need to know what happens when we die. Why do we die? What's heaven like? Um, how, how come there's these evil things that happen? And I found, I found some answers I found a lot more questions, but what I really found was a community of people who grieved together, mm. and as they bonded together, God used that group to impact hundreds of lives, uh, and there was so much good that came out of that, and so much eternal good that came out of my friend's death, and it was just absolutely, uh, absolutely astounding to me, and so I found that there is truth in Scripture. I found that there is a community, this community of the church, when they're truly loving God and loving one another, can really make an eternal impact. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to Bible college. I did end up going to Bible college. I wanted to go there for my, my freshman year, just one year, uh, mostly because I wanted to live in Seattle. And then, of course, it never hurts when your girlfriend is going there, too. So I uh, chose to go to Bible college for a year and then had plans to transfer out to, uh, to Washington State University. But in that freshman year, I had two classes. I had basic Bible doctrine and life of Christ. And life of Christ especially just absolutely destroyed my heart. Uh, being able to see, you know, what Jesus did, what he said, how, how what he said was received, the, the, the miracles, the compassion, the help, the hope that he gave people, the conspiracy against him, just the... The, the only conclusion I had is, oh my gosh, this, this, is, this is the Son of God. And I remember sitting in class one day, just lost in all the thoughts, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is what I need to do with my life. And I guess that was kind of my call to ministry, is uh, you know Jesus was too important. He was of ultimate importance. So this is what I had to do. 
Um, and then uh, my class basic Bible doctrine was basically like a kind of an introduction to systematic theology. And it was just, you know, a very systematic approach of here's the nature of God, the character of God, the attributes of God. And here's, you know, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit and revelation and word and all these kind of things. And, um, Anybody who listens to me preach or sees my sermon outlines know that everything is, you know, point one, point one A, point one B, and everything's like that. And yeah, and that's just, that's the way I'm wired. That's the way my mind works. And I just ate it up. That just spoke to me. And for the first time in my life, the Bible became so living and so powerful and so real. Um, and how it all connected together. I saw the the the, uni, the unified story of Scripture, and uh, especially with theology, and that just that just really captured my heart. So I uh, ended up uh, after that uh, becoming a, a youth pastor, which is kind of the the uh, baptism by fire for all uh, uh, all young people who want to go into ministry, and uh, loved it. Did uh, did fifteen years uh, in youth ministry. Uh, then was out of ministry for a season. Uh, some some rough things happened in life, and I uh, was out of ministry for over five years, and then ended up in California uh, because uh, this is a church my my mentor, my father figure, was serving at for a number of years, and he had contracted a bone marrow disease, mm. and uh, he called me up and said, "I I, I need you to come help me," and. Um, and I'm like, California, really? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm a Northwesterner, you know, I'm, I'm a Seattle, I'm a Seattle guy. Uh, Seattle guys don't do too well in California. Um, we're allergic to the sun, <laughs> but, uh, but came down anyway and just really felt a strong call of God and have been here 14 years now. And, um, yeah. Wow. And, uh, getting to spend time in ministry with you is obviously that was, that was a real highlight, uh, highlight season during our time here at Oak Park. Yeah, I have absolutely had a blast, Mike, and uh, I, I feel like we have this kindred spirit. And um, well, Mike, you, you, I mean, you, uh, there's so much that I actually had not heard about your story, but in your story, there is kind of riddled all throughout it elements of uh, challenge, suffering. Yeah. How uh, has has doubt been something that kind of creeped in uh, amongst uh, the suffering and challenges you've experienced? Yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm, well, you obviously know I'm already an, an odd, an odd duck, but I think I'm a little bit odd in the sense that, as I said, as a 13 year old boy, when I heard the gospel, it made perfect, absolute clear sense to me. Uh, it never really has since uh, in, in the, the the forty years since then, but in that moment there was just that that sense of a, 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 a direct hearing from God and God getting a hold of my heart and a, and, a, and a hold of my mind. So I've never doubted in the sense of I don't know if God exists or not. For some reason, belief in the existence of God has just come very naturally to me, and that's that's never really been an issue. Um, doubt in my ability to respond to God faithfully. Yes, that's a, that's been constant. Um, doubt in God's perfect timing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's been a struggle. Um, the, the scripture, you know, uh, about not being tempted beyond your ability uh, to withstand it. Uh, I've doubted that one and doubted uh, God's 
wisdom that he's placed on me uh, to find the way of escape. Doubted that one uh, quite a bit as well. Um, and as I was reflecting on your, you know, the questions that you sent me, um, I hadn't really, I don't think I had really put it together, but, you know, as a young Christian who had come from a non-Christian home and did not have any, any support in the home, you know, faith-wise, much like you <laughs> growing up and in, in your faith story, um, you know, so came, came to Christ at 13, well, by the age of 20, uh, 21, 22 there within that, you know, that eight to 10 year window of becoming a Christian, uh, there was a whole series of very potentially devastating things that I went through that, you know, I can fully understand why people, when they go through difficult things would abandon their faith in God, because those are, those are dark and difficult times. And everybody is going to reach that point from from some experience or from some consequence of their choices or the, even the choices of others, you know, where is God? Why is God allowing this? Why is God doing this? Um, you know, what is, what is there, what is the purpose or the meaning behind this? Even if there is any, um, so I can really understand why people struggle that. Cause I had a whole series of those things very early on in my, my, you know, my discipleship uh, with Jesus. Yeah. Um, Mike, could you, could you unpack that a little bit? Like, what is it? Because if you have, um, I guess, the op, not the opposite, you have a, a very grateful thing to experience of going through that and still um, hanging on to faith and, and not wavering. What is it about suffering that, I guess, is just really persuasive to people uh, to cave into doubt or to maybe yeah. walk away or throw in the towel? Yeah. I think for me, you know, growing up as a kid, we, we grew up poor. Um, you know, I, I literally grew up in a trailer down by the river. I mean, uh, that was, that was my life, you know, uh, trailer park, white trash, uh, kind of experience. My mom, I said, my mom worked herself to death. She did her best. She was, she was an amazing woman, uh, who by the way, became a Christian. She was actually the very first convert, of that new church that uh, that we had started, uh, she was baptized in my my girlfriend's swimming pool. She was our she was our first baptism, so that was pretty awesome. That's cool. I grew up like that, and for me, you know, life would life was already hard, and so and I wasn't I wasn't led to Christ with the promise of come to Jesus and everything gets better. Mm. Come to Jesus and you will be blessed. Come to Jesus and you know it's all it's all puppies and ponies. I, that, this is, that wasn't how the gospel was presented to me. The, the gospel was pre- presented to me that, you know, hey, you're, the world's a mess because of sin. You're a mess because of sin, both your sin and the sin of others. And Jesus came to suffer. He came to, to, to experience that with us. And that's why I think I resonate so closely to Jesus is he had a life of, life of suffering too. And I'm not comparing my suffering to the life of Jesus at all, but it's that, it's that correlation of, a gospel of a gospel of speaking to those who are impoverished, to those who are poor and poor in spirit. And so for some reason, I just always had that connection to, to Jesus to lead me out of that. And so it was that, that connection with Jesus as one who was, you know, impoverished and one who had suffered that just resonated with me. Um, So I didn't, I didn't have that, that kind of that Americanized uh, Americanized gospel where I was expecting life to be miraculously better or different. Um, 
And so I always felt that when I was going through things I was going through, I didn't have the, I didn't have the theology of, Oh, this is a testing refining fire. I, I didn't have that, but I understood that God was with me in my suffering. And I never, I never wavered from that. I, I wavered in my, I wavered in whether I would be able to endure it mm. and, and come, come out on the other side, definitely wavered in, in some of my, um, my, and once it's not faith in myself, but uh, in my ability to really grasp or understand what God was perhaps doing in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that as you know, I've kind of wrestled with um, suffering evil and I'm still pretty new ish to life and faith, you know, I'll be 31. Um, and uh, which is, you know, I'm on the other side of the hill here. Um, but It'll be 50 before you know it. <laughs> it yeah. creeps up on you fast. With, with, with suffering, um, for me, it's never been an issue with God's existence, but it's always been, um, I've always seen people struggle with an issue of God's goodness. Mm, yeah, great point. Is there any, um, is there any reason to, to believe that God is good when you have all of this suffering and evil that's going on around you? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's, and that's a great question. What it came down to me, and, and I've, I've been able to refine it a little bit over the years, is, is once again, I, I'm just, I'm a real kind of cut to the chase kind of person in, in terms of the, the, the philosophy of that and, and apologetics and everything. The way I see it is there's really only three options. There is no God. You know, there, there's no God. So therefore, you know, life is what it is. It's good or it's bad. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no significance. There just is. And life is as good as you can make it, or it's as bad as it's going to be. And, and for me, I just found that utterly hopeless and unmotivating. Um, it just, it was never a realistic option for me. So as the three options, God is, does not exist. The second option is God does exist, but he is not good. And so, therefore, you have maybe kind of a, well, in honor of, you know, we're recording this on May 4th, it's Star Wars Day. God is kind of a force, um, impersonal, just some kind of a, a balance or an amalgamation of good and evil, spiritual, whatever it is. But, so God is, but God is not a, not a, a, a person or, or perhaps a, a, a interpersonal being. God's just kind of some kind of force or life force, life energy, something like that. And I, and I look at that and I'm like, there's once again, there's no hope. Yeah. There's no individual purpose. There's no individual significance. There, there is nothing that can empower you to get up every day and love and give and serve and sacrifice uh, there, there is no reason in the world for, for nobility um, or self-sacrifice in a world that's just governed by an impersonal force or an energy. Um, and then the last option is that God does exist and he is good. Now he is good that I, I can cling on to that because then I know that ultimately evil is going to be vanquished. I know that justice is going to be done. I know that hurts are going to be healed. I know that relationships are going to be restored. Uh, and, for, and for me, out of the three, that's the 
only option that that is inspiring and that gives hope and that actually makes sense of the world that we see. Yeah, there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of bad and there is no shortage of of evil and inhumanity and ugliness and just plain you know atrocities that that humans are are capable of. But if you look back over history, there are there are the stories we know um, that where people have loved and served and given and sacrificed and dedicated their lives to to something beyond the self. And it's all of those things that that even our secular, you know, our secular philosophers and storytellers, um, you know, any any kind of a science fiction movie you have where the the existence of humanity is threatened. It's always like, well, humans are pretty bad and pretty messed up. But then there's those, those, that, that altruism or the, the power of love or the beauty of, you know, human capabilities. And they always say, well, that's what's worth, that's what's worth saving for humanity. So even our secular thinkers become apologists for some kind of a, a, a personally meaningful, significant existence beyond day-to-day life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if there's no God, there shouldn't be any, I guess, mm-hmm. overarching purpose or meaning. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of all falls apart. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're a fellow Lincoln guy. So I went to, to Lincoln Christian Seminary and it was a uh, professor Wayne Shaw um, who just one day uh, just bluntly said, he goes, you know, as a, as a, as a preacher, you're going to get confronted with the problem of evil. And he goes, that's a big problem. That's a great question. And we need to have a serious discussion on it. He goes, but anybody who, who brings that issue up to you, the very first thing you need to ask is that's a big, you, you, you need to stay. It's like, yeah, that's a big issue. That's worthy of discussion. But let me ask you first, you want to deal with the problem of evil? I want an answer to the problem of good. Hmm. And that was one of those, you know, uh, we didn't have the phrase mic drop uh, moments back then, but that was one of those, you, you almost felt the, the breath or the air sucked out of the classroom because, and, and I know especially it impacted me, it's like, wait a minute, yeah, there is good in the world. There's a lot of good in the world. Yeah. And that, we think that's just the natural order. It's not. <laughs> good is unnatural to humanity. So where does that unnatural come from? Well, if it's not natural, it needs to be supernatural. It's got to come from beyond. It's got to come from the nature of the character of God being good. And uh, yeah, that just, uh, that was, that was a, a paradigm. There's your big seminary word for the day, a big paradigm shifting moment for me in that whole, in that whole question, in that whole yeah. discussion. That's cool. That's really good. Um, Mike, um, there's, you know, uh, people experience all kinds of suffering and evil, whether that's, you know, um, thanked too much attention to the news or, you know, things that you kind of personally go through. Um, are there like a couple different things that people can do to safeguard their faith in the midst mm-hmm. of suffering? Yeah. Well, the first thing I think they do is just expect it. <laughs> um, we always think anything bad that happens, why is this happening to me? Why is God picking on me? Um, the, 
the the perspective we need to have is that why isn't more bad why isn't more bad stuff happening why aren't more things falling apart why isn't more evil befalling me um, so it's it's and I'm not I'm not being overly pessimistic there I'm just saying you know statistically speaking you know mathematically if you look at the world well there's a lot more bad than there is good which is that gets into the whole spiritual battle thing so our our perspective needs to be well of course bad is going to happen I I, I do I. My faith is not an immunity from that. Um, my faith is a, an inoculation to help me fight off the evil, <laughs> mm-hmm. to to endure, uh, and to hopefully, in the midst of, of of suffering lightly, to various degrees, then to overcome it. So it's not an immunity; it is an inoculation uh, against the evil happening. So part of it is to expect it. Uh, number two is to, to realize, um, God has a grander, greater purpose, um, than, than I think than ever we'll know on this side of eternity. Um, you know, the, the the saying is, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that's a little bit too trite. And, and I think you really need to unpack that a lot more, but I think everything, everything can be used for God's purposes. And whether that purpose is to increase our trust, to refine our faithfulness, um, whether it's to purge sin, perhaps it's to increase a dependence, perhaps it's just to break, you know, break pride um, mm. or self-centeredness within us. Um, and, and some of those purposes may only be partially for us and may even be more for those in our lives or those we even come after. We, 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 we can only see, as Paul says, we see in a mirror very dimly, but when we see face to face, then we will know and be known. So one of those things we're going to know is, Oh, that's why I went through that. That's what God was doing. Uh, no, those were the, those were the chess pieces being moved in the board of my life. Uh, this is the backstory filling in that I was unaware of. So understand that God really has a purpose. And I think third is use difficulty, use suffering, use the struggle um, as a time to just completely fall on God's grace and God's goodness. Um, Because after all, if God is God, that means we're not. Once again, quoting another professor from Lincoln, that was Bob Ray. Uh, God's God, yeah. uh, I'm not. And Jesus, in, in I think it's Matthew 24, 24, says, you know, don't fear him who can just kill the body, but fear him who, after killing the body, can send the soul to hell. Well, and that's real fire and brimstone-y type talk. I don't think that's Jesus' point in particular. It's, you know, put your fear in proper perspective. God truly is God. Your life truly is in God's hands. Yeah. You know, the breath that we breathe is a, is a gift from God. And the ability to breathe, the ability to, to you know, continue taking up space uh, in, in this world is, is a gracious gift from God. So just yield. Yield yourself to him and live in that grace and that mercy. Um, because God ultimately is good and can be trusted because there's really no other alternative that's uh that's worthy of you know our our mind or our time or anything
That's good. That's good. You know, and you know, you think about, you have, you know, uh, we're in God's hands, right? You know, God has, he's, uh, you know, kind of reading through Daniel. He is sovereign. He is in control of history, you know, yep. somehow, some way that God is, is working all things out for his purpose. And then you see him, you know, with Jesus dying on the cross, that not only is suffering something that uh, is not an obstacle that God can use, but we see God um, using human suffering through Jesus' death on the cross to bring about mm-hmm. salvation, you know? And so that's the kind of God yeah. who holds us in his hands, a God who can take suffering and bring about redemption for all humans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good, Mike. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, would you give any kind of advice if, if somebody's having a conversation uh, with a friend and they're kind of, they're really mm-hmm. wrestling with, I guess, the goodness of God, uh, because of suffering, whether they see on the TV or suffering they're experiencing, uh, would you give any kind of advice for how do you approach that conversation? What are some do's mm-hmm. and don'ts? Mm-hmm. Um, great question. Um, I think um, there, there's a couple of different responses. First off is we can see it as a challenge. We can see the problem of evil or the question of evil as a challenge. And uh, Paul's words in Romans 12, uh, 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the challenge of evil, that means we've got to step up our game. We've got to be intentional. We've got to be vocal. We've got to be visible in doing good. Um, Whatever we can do, however we can do it. Uh, Caring for the lost and the least of the, fighting for justice um, and, and, you know, all of those things. So so part, part of it's a challenge. Um, but for those who, you know, may not see it as a, as a battle cry, but may see it as, um, something kind of disheartening, um, a story from, from, uh, the gospels and it's the gospel of Mark. And this is one of those stories that, um, really, uh, really captured me when I was going through a lot of things. It's from Mark uh, chapter nine, and it's a story of a, you know, father who brought his uh, possessed son uh, to Jesus. And there's a crowd and there's all sorts of the, the, the pandelirium going on with that. Um, and he brings his, his son who was suffering seizures and convulsions at the, at the hands of, at the, the influence of, of an evil spirit. And this poor father, and if you have, if you have, you know, you've had a child with any kind of suffering or struggle and you know, just how that destroys you as a dad. Every single good dad in the world will say to God, God, let me suffer. Keep, yeah. keep my son from that. Let me, let me take it on. And this, you know, this dad, this dad brings his suffering son and his son, his son had suffered through this condition, this, this uh, demonic oppression possession for years and had put the boy in, in great physical harm. And this man just in desperation comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if there's anything you can do, do it. And Jesus is like, what do you mean if there's anything I can do? Of course I can do it. I've got this. You know, why do you doubt? Anything is possible to him who believes. And the, this, this desperate dad just cries out. He, he, he clings to Jesus. And that little sliver of hope that he has that Jesus has given him, he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mm. And uh, it's a pretty interesting word there. It's not the word for doubt. 
Uh, in the scriptures, the word doubt is different. This is actually the word ah, pistis. This is, I, 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 I have faith, help my no faith. Okay. I believe, help my no faith, my lack of faith, my absence of faith. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't turn to this guy. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, you just don't measure up. You know, he doesn't say what the modern faith healers say. Oh, you know, you, you would have been healed and your son would have been healed if only you would have believed more. If only you would have, if you would have had the proper amount of faith, the right amount of faith, then I could work miracles and then I can heal. But he, he, he sees the desperation. He sees the suffering boy and he heals him. Mm. Now, whether the man, the father's faith was faith in Jesus as God in the flesh, we don't know. Probably not at that point. Whether his faith was in Jesus as the son of God, the only savior of the world, well, I don't know. We, we, we can only speculate on that. But his faith in Jesus to be able to bring hope, mm. to heal, to help, to relieve the suffering, his faith was desperate. His faith wasn't refined. His faith wasn't full. His, his faith wasn't a bunch of propositional truths that he clung to. His faith was simply in Jesus who could do the miraculous. And Jesus did the miraculous for him, healed his son, accepted him in spite of his struggles with faith. And I've gone back to that many, many times. I've cried out myself, Lord, I believe, but boy, help my unbelief. Um, help my unbelief that this is going to turn out for good. Help my unbelief that I'm going to endure. Help my unbelief that there is any rhyme or reason to people treating me the way they're treating me. You cry out to Jesus. That's cool. I mean, it's such a, you know, what an encouraging story in the gospel because mm -hmm. it, number one, Jesus doesn't condemn him for the amount of faith he has. And, you know, um, uh, so it's just, it communicates that, you know, any, you know, any faith, mm -hmm. any trust that we have in Jesus, he welcomes it. And faith, uh, faith as a mustard seed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and it's also, it's cool to have that in the gospel, you know, help my unbelief, you know, what hope for those who are wrestling with doubt, especially in yeah. suffering and especially knowing that this God is a God who ultimately gives humans what they desperately want. And that's healing from the deepest wounds. Mm -hmm. And we see that in revelation, you know, that's, yep. that's our hope. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, thanks so much. Um, is there any, any last things that you would like to kind of add or say on doubt and suffering? Mm -hmm. um, and another, just a, another word of wisdom given to me long time ago by, uh, by, by a dear friend who's, who's passed on many years ago. He says, we have to remember that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Mm. The opposite of faith or the opposite of belief is disbelief or unbelief. Um, and we talked about that a little bit with, with, with the man and he was, he was struggling with that, but doubt is, I think actually good. Mm. Doubt means we're, we're dealing with our faith. Doubt means that, that there's some dynamism in our faith. We're not just, we're not just trusting wholeheartedly or blindly, 
but we're actually wrestling and struggling. And even in Jude, you know, we're, we're, you know, those who are spiritual, those who are spiritual leaders, those who pastor people, shepherd people are encouraged to be merciful with those who doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's God's response. God is merciful to those who doubt. And so don't, don't equate doubt with disbelief. Mm-hmm. Don't equate, don't equate doubt with abandoning the faith or walking away. Um, or even, even in the sense of just, you know, refusing to trust in God. Um, we're, we're, we're all going to struggle with some of those questions sometimes and yeah. doubt is okay. Um, as long as we don't get stuck in letting doubt be, be an, ex, be an excuse for inaction or not pursuing answers to faith. Um, as I, as I always tell my churches, as I've got an answer for every question you may ask. Now the answer you may not like, and the answer may be, I don't know, but there is always, there always is an answer. And for our questions of faith, just like when I went through uh, the questions of heaven and hell and, you know, the omnipotence of God and the sovereignty of God, when uh, my friend David died so many years ago, um, you have to, you have to push in to the scriptures, push into the answers that are there, but also to push into the mystery that is still there as well. And it's okay to have mystery. Uh, Cause if we've got answers for everything, you know, what, uh, what part of the excitement of life and living by faith, uh, how, what does that do to our trust? You know, what does that do to our personal day-to-day relationship with Jesus? Uh, if we've got all the answers and we know everything and everything's just cut and dry and nice, it's a nice sealed package for us. Mm-hmm. I think we miss out a lot of what, uh, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives through the word. Yeah. Mike, that's really wise. Uh, and that's so good. Mike, I am so grateful uh, that we've had, we had this conversation and uh, thanks so much for taking, uh, taking time out of your day to have the conversation that we can share this um, with this guy. our church and whoever is listening. So uh, Mike, God bless on uh, your ministry and thanks again for, um, for your time. Uh, you betcha, Sky. Love you to death, and uh, blessings on you and and Stephanie and the kids too. And hopefully, we'll get to see each other again one of these days real soon. That was such a refreshing conversation, and such an honest and hopeful perspective about evil and suffering. Hopefully, that conversation gave you the encouragement you needed today. Next week, we are talking about the problem of Jesus, and my guest is pastor and author Mark Clark. Mark is the pastor in a very post-Christian area, Vancouver, Canada, where he set out to reach skeptics by having a Bible study in his living room, and it has since grown to several thousand people in attendance with multiple campuses. He is the author of a book called The Problem of God, in which he shares the conversation he has had over the years with thousands of people about the objections to Christianity. And the cool thing about all of this is that thousands of people have come to Christ as a result of these conversations. Thank you, Mark, for your hard work and ministry in writing this book. Well, Mark was gracious enough to give me some time so I could interview him about the problem of Jesus. And his answers to those questions, I promise, are a conversation you won't want to miss. Well, I hope today's conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week as we talk about the problem of Jesus.